Terrible Thanks for Asking is brought to you by you. Or it is if you're in the Terrible Club. We are actually made by American Public Media, which makes us public media. (laughs) Which basically means we get to make stuff because the public, you, says, hey, good job. I'd like to support you. So we have this group of sustaining monthly members that we call the Terrible Club. They're people who donate $5 a month or more to our cause, and they made this episode. Or, I mean, Hans made it, but they helped. Hi, my name is Phoebe Liu, and this is what I wish somebody would have said to me when I was a kid. Phoebe, it's okay that you're sad. It's okay that you're frustrated and angry by what's going on in your life. It's okay to not be okay. My shoulder's here if you want to cry on it. I won't think any less of you. I won't think that you're weak or broken or unworthy of love. I think that your tears mean that you're strong, that you're resilient, and that you're human. And your tears are lovely and beautiful. You don't have to pretend to be something that you're not. You don't have to pretend to feel things that you don't feel. You can be real with me. I'm Nora McInerney, and this is Terrible. Thanks for asking. Do you remember being a child? I do. And I basically remember being a skinny little sack of skin and bones that was chock full of piping hot feelings, mainly of the anxious variety. I worried about everything. I worried about dying worried about my parents dying, worried about my siblings dying, I worried about my parents getting a divorce, I worried about my brother staring at the sun too long and going blind. I worried, and I think this is common in children, I worried about being framed for a murder that I didn't commit because an evil person took my fingerprints off of a Coke can and then put them on a murder weapon. Normal worries. Now, I did have really great parents, but somehow, all of this just slipped right by them. Now, I really don't have any hard feelings, but what I wanted from my parents was for them to notice all of these feelings and just say something. And I really mean it, like no hard feelings, because now I am a grown-up and I know my parents were coming home after a long day of work to four children who wanted to give them a total play-by-play of their four different days, rat each other out about any rule infractions that happened while our parents were at work, and then beg to be taken to Target to buy stuff we didn't need with money that wasn't ours. Parenting is hard. My son Ralph was almost two when his father died of brain cancer. So I've spent all of Ralph's life talking to him about hard things, like 
his dad being sick, his dad dying. Ralph and I can be in the grocery store and he'll ask, how do I know I have a soul? Where are my dad's bones? Can I put them back together? Can we die together, Mom? Someday? So, I'm used to talking about the hard stuff with Ralph, but it's not just me and Ralph anymore. Now, there's three other kids in the mix. Basically, we are a smaller Brady Bunch, and this family merger came with two acquisitions and a newly minted baby. So, the age range for kids in our house is six months to 16 years old. That is a wide range of emotions, feelings, thoughts, experiences, and a lot of situations that I never had to go through because my parents were married for over 40 years and they were super into each other. I want to be good at everything, but I especially want to be a good grown-up to the kids around me. And I worry all the time, like, am I saying the right things to these kids? Am I being the right kind of grown-up? Like, you know, I can't ask them because they'll just lie to me because that's what kids do. They just lie to grown-ups to make grown-ups happy because they're so worried about us. So here I am, Carrie Bradshaw moment, having a deep thought, not knowing who to pose it to, typing it into my laptop, staring out the window, and I thought, I will ask the Terrible Club. That's our secret little group of supporters. So that's what I did. I said, look, hey, Terribles, What do you wish your grown-ups would have said to you when you were young and going through hard stuff and had feelings? And the terribles came through. I wish that my grown-ups had explained to me the value of friendship more. I think that they had both been hurt by their friends in the past, and they found those relationships a little frivolous and unnecessary. And... I wish that I had known that I could have had this wonderful group of people surrounding and loving me all my life and not just when I got into my late 20s. I wish a grown-up that loved me would have said, I know this feels really hard right now, but I promise you'll get through it. You won't sit in this feeling forever. That I can promise you. Being a kid is weird because your teeth fall out and then you grow new ones. Also, you can feel your bones growing. How bizarre is that? You can literally feel yourself grow. Okay, it's also weird because you have all these observations, all these feelings, and no power. Like, no power. I try to remember that because I have a four-year-old and he will flip his lid about things like how his sandwich is cut or what cup he gets to use. And I have to remember that it's not about the sandwich. It's not about the cup. It's just that his entire day and his entire life are determined by a series of people twice his size. Just a collection of knees are always telling him when to wake up, when to go to bed, what to eat, when to eat it. Underwear goes on the inside of your clothes. It's a bunch of grown-ups overtly telling you what to do and in so determining what your normal is. Setting the standard for what is and isn't acceptable to you, for better or worse. 
I think the thing that would have been helpful to have someone on the outside of things say is, hey, what's going on in your house? It's not okay and it's not normal. Um, because conversely, um, I grew up with a mom who told me we were having normal family problems. Um, we were having normal family problems that caused her to get drunk and get me out of bed at two in the morning to clean the fish tank. We were having normal family problems that she passed out drunk and we couldn't wake her up most nights. Um, but you don't know what you don't know. You know, I was probably, you know, in college before I realized that other parents, um, had uh, milk or water or Kool-Aid with dinner and not vodka. So, you know, I think that having um, sane, rational grown-ups, you know, in a child's life who can just affirm for them um, that, you know, what's going on for them is hard and terrible and um, who knows what normal is, but definitely not right and not okay. When I was 12 or 13, my English teacher asked me to do this assignment where we just talked about ourselves. It was kind of like introducing ourselves. And I wrote this one line where I said that I, I felt like I was trapped, trapped in a glass case. And when I got the assignment back, he said, oh, you're so deep. Looking back now, that was one of the most obvious signs that someone should have said, I think you might be depressed. I think you should go see a psychologist. One phrase that really bothers me because it was said to me and about me my entire childhood and into adulthood was that I marched to the beat of my own drummer because what the hell is that I do things a little differently than you know my mom or my sister what does that even mean I wish my parents would have been more open honest with me there's a lot of stuff that I found out like in my late teens or early 20s that I feel would have been helpful to me somehow when I was going through puberty, I guess, in my mother's house. I didn't have anyone talking to me about it, about the situation. It was all just presented in, oh, you're so brave, you're so grown up, which is hard to hear as a child because hearing that makes you feel like you have to be those things and you have to exhibit those traits. If you're not brave, if you're not grown up, it's a disappointment. I will never be disappointed in you for not being brave or not being grown up. I'm not your mom, but I hope that counts. We're going to take a break. We'll be back. 
So I started Terrible Things for Asking because I know that I'm not special and everyone has a story. And we don't all have to have the same experiences or the same stories in order to have those experiences and feelings validated. And that's the reason you hear stories on Terrible Things for Asking that you won't hear anywhere else because we really care about bringing these extraordinary everyday experiences to light. We are here for the stories that make you say, yep, me too. For stories that make you say, finally, someone gets it. That's a real quote. Someone said that about us. You can help us bring more of these stories to light with a contribution to our show. It doesn't matter the size of the gift. It shows us that these stories matter, that all of our stories matter. And it will help us bring even more of these things out of your hearts and into the light, the light of the podcast. What's in it for us is being able to do our job and make this podcast. And what's in it for you? One, you'll get into the Terrible Club. Um, It's on Facebook. It's members only. All the stories that you hear in this episode come from the Terribles. Um, These are people who are already talking about episodes, getting behind-the-scenes previews, and just sharing their own messy, beautiful lives. And I'm there, too. Also, I'm excited about this. You can get an Iron-On TTFA patch. It's got that awesome crying eye logo. It's bright yellow. It's yours with any gift in any amount, only during the month of June. So make your gift at ttfa.org slash donate. Any amount today or before June ends, which is sooner than you think, ttfa.org slash donate. And we're back. Hello? Mom? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, good. Uh, It's Nora, by the way. Hi, I figured that. Okay, so I have a question. Um... What do you remember about me emotionally as a child? I think you were a very intuitive child and very observant and able to read people's emotions. Because remember that? You probably don't remember that time, but you looked at me and you said, you don't look happy, Mom. And I'm sure you were like four or five years old. Anyway, you were also very sensitive about me favoring Patrick. So you were a very sensitive child. Why did you favor Patrick? I didn't favor Patrick. Where are you right now? I'm at Patrick's house. Haha, enough said, right? Even though I didn't know how to wipe my own butt, I knew that my mother's feelings were not in a great place because kids are the ultimate empaths. They're just little sponges soaking up grown-up feelings. They know way more than we think they do. They know what we're thinking. They know what we're feeling. And if they aren't certain, they make it up and worry about that. You know, looking back, now that I'm a parent, I have two small boys, um, I understand... And I believe that the hardest part of parenting is when you're having a mental issue, whether it's grief or a panic attack or um, a moment where you find out some horrible news and also having to parent at the same time. And looking back, 
I wish that maybe I had someone tell me that my parents were also kind of grieving their marriage and going through their own mental anguish because it seemed so isolating in my own head that I wasn't being, my anxieties weren't understood maybe. Ultimately, I wish that my parents had told me that I was not going to be a child forever. And I wish that they had understood a little bit more that that their anxieties about life were not necessarily the same as my anxieties, but that my anxieties were still valid and to be addressed instead of just brushed aside because I was a child or because they just had so much to think about. My name is Laura, and when I was 10 years old, my two-year-old brother passed away. And I think if I could wish for my parents to tell me one thing when I was growing up, it would have been that we were going to get through this. I spent a lot of time thinking about, you know, worrying about how they were doing. And I think it's because they were obviously not doing very well. And we tried to return to normal doing things like watching TV shows and I was the only child again after he passed away, so we tried to do things together, but, you know, there was a long period of time where, you know, we couldn't watch. If a commercial for diapers would come on, we'd have to stop watching TV, or if a toddler was around, we'd have to leave what we were doing. And I think the eight-year-old in the room needed some reassurance at the time that we were going to kind of make it out to the other side of that sad, tragic event, and, you know, as an adult now, who's 34, I think, maybe they weren't sure they were going to get through it, and that's probably why they they never said it, but sometimes you got to say things to make them true, and I think for an 8-year-old or a 10-year-old, I needed to hear it for it to be true. So clearly, there's a difference between seeing someone and seeing someone. Sometimes the people in our lives, people we spend a lot of time with, people who love us, people we love, never really see who we are or what we're going through. Like they have special un-X-ray vision that keeps their gaze on the surface or something that keeps them from seeing what's obvious to us, that we're in pain or we need help or just aren't okay. When I was 16 years old, my dad had a Halloween party uh, with some friends. And um, I woke up the next morning after this Halloween party to someone in bed with me. It was one of my dad's friends. And he said some sexually explicit things to me, and I told him that that was not acceptable to me. And he got out of bed, and when he did, I noticed that he was completely naked. You know, I hadn't come out of the closet yet, and I was confused, and I didn't know what all of this meant, and I got really upset, and I went to my dad, and I told him what happened. He didn't really say a whole lot, so that was pretty much it. Um, He comes to me later in the day and says, 
I think you've been watching too much Sex and the City. Because I was a big fan of the television show at 16 years old. And um, that was it. And to this day, we haven't spoken about it. When you're a kid and you say things to your parents, you want them to say that they believe you. I never really got that. I wish they had been more open with me about stranger danger and sex and all of those things because I was pretty sheltered and innocent and Catholic. And so um, when I was going to see my neighbor to pick up my money for cat sitting for them, he was watching porn and I was so horrified by it. But I had to instinctively act like nothing was wrong so I could get out of that house as fast as humanly possible. But it was um, so shameful and so creepy that um, I never told my mom. And then when my brother decided he hated my dad and wanted to take it out on me and my little sister and started sexually abusing us, I was also in that same position, sort of frozen with fear and didn't know what to do, but knew it was wrong, and my brain just sort of froze, and when I popped out of it, I wish that they had been more smart about that stuff, and really said, not just like, this is what sex is, but, but here's where this shouldn't be. I wish they had said, I love you, while I knew that I was loved. I didn't grow up in a family that said, I love you. And I didn't know it was weird. I didn't know as a young child that family members said that to each other. So once I started seeing people doing that, I didn't quite understand why it hadn't been said to me. This probably affected me the most when my older brother, who was in his 20s at the time, and he was three years older than me, went through some sort of emotional maturity period and decided to start saying I love you to my mother. So my mother says to me one day, well, your brother says I love you, why don't you? And I said, well, why don't you? And she didn't really have an answer. I think the lesson here is don't assume that your kids or anyone else for that matter will just know that you love them or that you're proud of them. They need to hear it. Thanks for listening. I knew from a young age that you were going to be an extraordinary human being. You did? I did. I wrote that to you in a text or something at one point. I have a hamburger. I have a Culver's double butter burger. No cheese in my mouth right now. So you were so sick. You lost weight. You were just this tiny, skinny, fragile little thing. And I... Remember, like, washing your little body in the... I'm going to cry. <laughs> Why am I crying? In the tub. And I just knew then. I just looked at you. And I just knew. I thought at that point, this is going to be an amazing person. I'm not kidding you. Yeah, I remember puking in the tub... And, oh yes. yeah, like yeah. I was While you're giving to, like, me a bath, bring your fever down, yeah. and and I don't know. I think that was 
How old would you have been in second grade? Seven or eight. Seven. With your little bobbed haircut and you know how sometimes when kids are sick, they just complain and complain. You just like so resigned to, to just having this horrible flu and vomiting every 10 minutes. Like you couldn't keep anything down. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. I remember I puked on Megan. Megan had this um, cart full of cassette tapes and I puked on it. You're a ruiner. I was a ruiner. <laughs> we are going to take a quick break. Sorry for talking so much about me vomiting as a child. I should probably have an elevator speech for what is TTFA, but instead I have this elevator pitch that assumes that we're on the first elevator ever made, and it's going to take 17 minutes to go up three floors, and everyone's going to sweat and get uncomfortable, and we might run out of oxygen. Anyway, I try to tell people this, which is that on TTFA, we talk about things that are hard to talk about but are worth sharing, and we do this because hearing each other and seeing each other through hard things is how we break stigma, how we connect as humans. And we get to do this because of your donations and your support of any size. If you have a million dollars, I'm not going to turn it down, but $5 a month, that is mega helpful. It means we get to keep bringing these stories and these people into your life and you get stuff like an invitation into the Terrible Club. It's a Facebook group. It's filled with a bunch of beautiful weirdos talking about their beautiful weird lives. Also me, Also, um, I don't know, what else could you get? What else could you get? A paperback of my book with a signed book plate that I had designed because I think book plates are the epitome of class and sophistication. And I always wanted them and my parents wouldn't buy them for me. Anyway, you can make your gift at ttfa.org slash donate any amount, any day. But there's no day like today, no time like the present. ttfa.org slash donate. So I'm starting at and we're back. Yeah. And we're back. And we're back. And we're back. We're always told that parental love is unconditional. That's nice. But I mean, really, really, really. I don't know. I mean, if you grew up with the kind of parents who could be in an 80s sitcom, sure, good for you. But for the rest of us, didn't you always kind of feel like you had to earn that love just a little bit or that you could lose it or at least appreciate it if you weren't careful, if you weren't good to your siblings or didn't get perfect grades, if you didn't make the team or if you made it but didn't play very hard? Me. If not, I mean, good for you, and please text your parents immediately and thank them for teaching you the meaning of unconditional love. But for the rest of us, man. First of all, I wish my parents wouldn't have told me that happiness existed on the other side of weight loss. Um, 
I wish that they would have told me that I was enough and no matter what my weight was, I deserved love and happiness. And those that believe that were not worth my time. So I grew up in a family where performance was king. It came from a place of love and wanting us to succeed. I know it did, but it always ended up making us feel like our value as kids, as family members, as human beings was found in how well we did in school, how well we played our instruments, how well we did our sports. The only time I remember getting lectures from my father was when I didn't get the grade that he thought I needed to get. It was never about if I was being a good person or whether or not I was being kind or loving or a caring human being. Instead, he always lectured us on our grades and our performance and As a consequence, I never once felt like my value as a person was simply because I was a person worthy of love. So I always performed and performed and performed and it was exhausting. And I just wish one of my parents would have out loud to my face, sat me down and said, there is nothing you can do that will make me love you less. And I'm sure that they felt that. In fact, I know they did. I know they love me, but they never said it. And so now as I'm a parent, I find myself falling back into those same patterns of asking my kid to perform and asking her to do and be more than a nice person and more than just who she was created to be, but a good student and a good person and a good friend And I asked her to do the same things that sucked the life right out of me. What I really wish the grown-ups would have said to me growing up was um, that I believe in you or um, that I'm proud of you. Um, Or I really wish they would have taken the time to explain things a little bit more clearly or thoughtfully Um, because growing up, I never really felt that I had that in a way. Um, and, and that's tough because you know, the grownups do love you and you know, they do care about you, but I don't know. I I wish I would have heard it more, at least felt it more. So to recap... Being a child is hard, which we know looking back, and we knew going through it. What we didn't know, and what kids now don't know, is that being a grown-up is hard too. We are well aware of how our parents fudged up and what they did wrong, and we don't want to do those things. But knowing what we don't want to do is not the same thing as knowing what we are supposed to do. And saying the right thing isn't the same as having the right answer. Not everything is fixable, but everything can be talked about or listened to, even if it's hard. Kids need what grown-ups need. 
They need to know that they're safe, that they're loved, that their feelings are real and complicated and subject to change without notice, that they're seen and appreciated, not because they're perfect and not because we're perfect. We're not perfect, none of us, talking to you, Madge, and it's not our job to be. If there's something you wish you could have said or you wish you would have said, you can always say it now. I just want to take this time to say to all of you who are listening that I hear you. And I just want to say to each of you who hears this, I believe you. Thanks. I love you for who you are and how you are. What you feel matters to me. What you think matters to me. And I don't want you to think that you're not perfect, that you've made mistakes that nobody will forgive you for. I want you to know that in spite of everything that's happened, or maybe even because of everything that's happened, you are someone worthy of love. Now that means that you have to take a risk. You have to be vulnerable. You have to show people who you are. But I'll tell you that that risk is worthwhile. That risk is everything. P.S. If you're a kid listening to this, and you have an answer for what you wish your grown-ups would say to you, I want to hear it. Get your grown-up and be like, look, I got something to talk to you about. You are doing this wrong. And then you can go to ttfa.org and click submit your story, or you can email us or have your grown-up email us probably at ttfa at americanpublicmedia.org. I recently had a 15-year-old ask me how to email, so you might need some help. TTFA is hosted by Nora McInerney. That is myself. Don't refer to yourself in the third person. It's despicable. Someone named Hans Buto, can you hear my finger quotations, uh, comes in in the night like a gnome with a shih tzu and does something to make this show. I'm not sure what. He rides a shih tzu through the forests of St. Paul onto Cedar Street, up to Studio 3A, turns some little buttons, pushes a few. A podcast is made. Got a tiny hammer. Thank you to all the Terribles in the Terrible Club and all of the amazing people there in that club. All you Terribles for sharing your things. And a very special thank you to Phoebe, Kirsten, 
Genevieve, Jennifer, Blair, Carolyn, Lauren, Olivia, Laura, Ashley, Aaron, Lauren, Marin, Natalia, and David. Our theme music is by Joffrey Wilson. TTFA is a production of APM, American Public Media. And Lloyd Elmore Jr. is a guy who follows me on Twitter and jokingly asked me to say his name in the show and jokes on you, buddy, because here it is, Lloyd Elmore Jr. Are you a sustaining member of Terrible Thanks for Asking? Isn't that part of being a sustaining member of public radio. I mean, it's totally different. It's money that's like specifically for for our show. I did not know that. Oh, okay. Well, I guess I've done a bad job of communicating that. Do you want to know what you get for being a member? Uh, I probably get a t-shirt and uh, I don't know. What else do I get? We have a patch, an iron-on patch. Mm. So I don't know. You can consider it. It's just, it's $6 a month. That is a bargain. It is. That's a good deal. That is a good deal. That's a good deal. That's a good deal. I am recording this. Is that okay? Oh, my God, Nora. So are you doing outbound telemarketing now, or you're just calling me for sound bites? I'm just calling you for sound bites that I can manipulate into you saying, Nora is my favorite child. Oh. <laughs>